invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 2. Ezekiel chapter 2. Just go halfway through your Bible and start going right, and you will eventually get there. Um, Ezekiel is one of those books of the Bible that I'm a little scared of. Um, I think a lot of us are kind of scared of it, rightly so. It's confusing. It's just flat out weird. Uh, The book starts with one of the most bizarre visions that you will ever find in the Bible. Um, Ezekiel sees four creatures, and each of these creatures somehow has a wheel attached to it. And the rims of these wheels are full of eyes. Um, it, it, you know, in my mind, it looks like something my children would paint or, or draw. Um, and I decided I was going to preach on the first three chapters of Ezekiel tonight, but I skipped over chapter one simply because I have no idea what that means. And uh, I, I looked at it and I, I gave up. So I will, I will go later at some point back to Ezekiel one and try to figure that out. Um, and when I was studying that, I found that actually some rabbis put restrictions on chapter 1, and you were not even allowed to read it until you were 39 years old. Um, I'm only 37, and so I figure I have two more years. And uh, I came across this rabbinic legend of a boy who had read chapter 1, and God gave him insight into one word. Of chapter 1, and he immediately burst into flames and perished. Um, and so I did not want that to happen to me or to you. Um, and so I thought we would just look at 2 and 3 tonight. Uh, last week we looked at chapter 16. Um, and this week we're going to look at a much different message. We're going to look at how Ezekiel got called to preach the message that he preached last week, a a very hard, a very difficult message, one that probably most of you have never heard even read, let alone preach. How did Ezekiel get that call to bring that to um, his kinsmen? This is a text that I have gone back to many times over the years. When I started a university Christian fellowship, I poured over this text before I started it. Um, When I started this church, I poured over this text before I started this church. Um, And it's one that I think we need to revisit from time to time. So we'll begin reading in chapter 2, verse 1. And he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet, and I will speak with you. And as he spoke to me, the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet. And I heard him speaking to me. And he said to me, Son of man, I send you to the people of Israel, to nations of rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. The descendants are also impudent and stubborn. I send send you to them and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God. And whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, be not afraid of them, nor afraid of their words. Though briars and thorns are with you, and you sit on scorpions, be not afraid of their words, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house." And you shall speak my words to them, 
whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Be not rebellious like the rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. And when I looked, behold, a hand was stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. And he spread it before me, and it had writing on the front and on the back, and there were written on it words of lamentation and mourning and woe. And he said to me, Son of man, eat whatever you find here. Eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave me this scroll to eat. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly with this scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. And he said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them. For you are not sent to a people of foreign speech in a hard language, but to the house of Israel. Not to the many peoples of foreign speech in a hard language whose words you cannot understand. Surely if I sent, to, sent you to such, they would listen to you. But the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you. For they are not willing to listen to me. Because all the house of Israel have a hard forehead and a stubborn heart. Behold, I have made your faces hard as their faces, and your forehead as hard as their foreheads. Like emery harder than flint have I made your forehead. Fear them not, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, all my words that I shall speak to you, receive in your heart and hear with your ears and go to the exiles, to your people and speak to them and say to them, thus says the Lord, whether they hear or refuse to hear. Then the Spirit lifted me up and I heard behind me the voice of a great earthquake. Blessed be the glory of the Lord from its place. It was the sound of wings of the living creatures as they touched one another and the sound of the wheels beside them and the sound of a great earthquake. Then the Spirit lifted me up and took me away and I went in bitterness and the heat of my spirit, the hand of the Lord being strong upon me. And I came to the exiles at Tel Aviv who were dwelling by the Chabar Canal. And I sat where they were dwelling. And I sat there overwhelmed among them seven days. Pray with me. God, we ask that you would honor the very reading of your word. Through your spirit, it would already begin bearing fruit in our lives. God, I ask that you would speak tonight with great clarity. I pray that my words would fall to the ground and blow away and not be remembered anymore. But Lord, may your words remain and may they change us. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Have you ever had one of those phone calls that you just really dreaded making? Um, not too long ago, I received news or some information about a person who needed to be confronted with their sin. 
and uh, I knew it. Um, and so I knew I, I needed to call this person up, tell them what I knew, set up a meeting. And I just really, I mean, that's just awkward. You know, I just, I did not want to do that. And I knew our relationship would forever be changed the moment I called them on the phone. And so I got the phone, I picked it up, and I just held it. And I just sat in a stupor. I mean, for, for, for the longest time, just, I know I needed to do it, but I just didn't want to do it. This is very similar to what's happening to Ezekiel at the end of the passage we just read. Ezekiel's been told something to do. He's been given a message that he has to tell, and he really doesn't want to do it. He knows it's the Lord's will. He wants to do the Lord's will. But he knows that if he does it, everything's going to be changed. And so he sits at the end of you know, 3, verse 15. It says that he, he sat there, overwhelmed among them seven days. So for a week, he just sat there in a stupor. He also didn't understand why the Lord would even command him to do this very peculiar thing. Maybe he's just taking time to even try to figure it out before he moves forward, but he's unable to move. And perhaps you can relate. There have been times in my life that God has seemed so glorious that it is so easy to share. Then there's times he has seemed so glorious to me and given me a message it's also been so hard to share. And what we're going to look at tonight is how to be faithful. How to be faithful to the Lord's calling on our lives. The first thing that I want us to see in this passage is that when God gives you a command, with that command comes with it the power for you to achieve that command. Every time the Lord gives you a commandment, with that commandment, there is power for you to do that commandment. And you see that throughout all of Scripture. We're not going to go through all this, but you certainly see it, for instance, uh, in the Gospel of Mark, when Jesus is commanded Philip to feed 5,000. He says, all right, I want you to go feed 5,000 men or 15,000 people there. With that command, he had the power to do it if he had believed. Then this is much, much different than if I were to give a command. I mean, if I were to, I mean, I never would, you know, command my wife, you know, submit woman, you know, I give you a commandment. I, I, I wouldn't do that. But let's just say hypothetically that I command Lauren to go and change the oil in my truck. And I have given a very clear command. And Lauren, who loves me and she wants to serve me and she wants to obey me with all of her heart, she says, yes, I will go. And she puts on her work clothes and she goes to my truck and she has no power to achieve that command. It can't come if I do that, if I give a command. But with the Lord's command, with His command comes the power to do it. That's why St. Augustine used to always pray, Lord, ask what you will, but give what you ask. Ask what you will, but give what you ask. If God commands you to do things like love your husband who is unlovable, know that when he gives you that command, 
With it, there is the power to achieve it. You can love that husband who's unlovable. Uh, If he commands you to speak truth into someone's life, who you know it's just going to be horribly difficult to do so, maybe a family member, something like that, it's horribly difficult. No, if he commands you to do that, he will give you the strength with that command to do it. God does not look down at you and think, you know what, gosh, he is so good at that. I mean, I'm I'm just going to kind of pick something for him to do that he's really good at. It's not the way God works. He commands and then he enables. You kind of see this um, in Paul's letters. Um, Every one of Paul's letters in which there's always commands in his letters. But every one of his letters begins with grace to you. You always find that in the introduction somewhere. Grace to you. As you are hearing God's word, as you are hearing his commands, there is a grace being given to you. We find that here. God calls Ezekiel to go and to speak to rebellious people. Look how the Lord prepares him. Chapter 2, verse 1. And he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet, and I will speak with you. And as he spoke to me, the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet. So So we see God here that Ezekiel, apart from the Spirit of God, he could do nothing. But God gives him a command, sets him on his feet. Gives him the strength to do what he is about to call him to do. If you stand on your own, you're going to fall. If you try to obey any commandment of God on your own, you're going to fall. It's the Spirit of God who's going to fill you, lift you up, strengthen you to do what he has called you to do. Second thing I want you to see here, understanding God's call on your life and your obedience to Him. This one's going to be hard to swallow for you. But it's this, that God does not necessarily call you to success. God very well might call you to do something that will completely fail. Um, Some of you are can obviously remember back to your college years. Um, I remember my senior project. I had to, you know, do this to graduate. And for some reason, our teacher did a group project. I hated group projects. And so now I had eight people in whom my grade and my graduation now depended upon. And of course, they all procrastinated and procrastinated till you know, just a few days before our project is due. And so we finally get together at somebody's apartment to have a meeting to, to, to do our project. And so as we're talking, all of a sudden I look around and there are two joints being passed around. Two joints. And so everybody is smoking. Everybody is getting high as a kite. And I'm like, really, really, my grade is dependent upon you guys. This is it. My graduation depends upon you. And they came up with this great idea that they weren't going to do the project that the teacher had asked us to do. Instead, they were going to make an action film because one of the guys really had always wanted to be a director. And so they were all in agreement. Any opposed? Me, me, me. Sorry, we're going through with the action film. And so that was our project. We did a Miami Vice action film and turned it in. In which, thankfully, I got to the talk to the teacher later, and she 
past me anyway. But it was one of those projects as you're sitting down, you're like, this is doomed. Doomed before we ever started. Why, why go through with this? I mean, have you ever faced that before? Where you know you got to do something, but it's, it's going to fail? I remember in high school having basketball games like that. You know, at halftime, you're down by 30, and your coach is like, you know what? I'm not going to lie. You're going to get beat bad. I mean, it's, it's going to be ugly out there. Just, just try not to embarrass me, all right? All right, break. You know, the, the last game I had like that, I left in an ambulance. And, and it was one of those things like you just know, doomed before you even begin. But does God do that? Does God give those kind of pep talks? All right, come on. There is no way you're going to be successful out there. But I want you to get out there. Don't embarrass me. All right? Get out there. Don't embarrass me. That's what I want you to do. Is God like that? Is is he so cruel? This might rub you the wrong way, but God does call us from time to time to things that have no, no possibility of success. Um. I know we like to think that if we love God, if we're very faithful to God, if we really serve God with all of our heart, then He's going to bless us. He's going to give us tremendous success. And we could probably even quote a proverb or two that that would lead us in that thinking. But look at Ezekiel here. He is called to a doomed project. And let's see how this all unfolds. Ezekiel is chapter 1. He has that amazing vision. The entire vision, perhaps the reason I struggle to understand it, is because Ezekiel is struggling to explain it. I mean, if, if you look at it, he sees something spectacular. And he, he keeps saying, like, like, like. He says it was like burnished bronze. It was like burning clothes, coals. It was, it was like a rainbow. It was like gleaming metal. It was like the appearance of fire. It was like the sound of many waters. And he goes on and on. He, he keeps saying, it's... It's not the sound of many waters, but it's like many waters. And he can't adequately express what he's seeing. He's struggling. But it's this glorious vision of the Lord. And then after this glorious vision, Ezekiel is given a very clear vision to go and to minister. A very clear calling. But his evangelism is not going to bear any fruit. Chapter 3, verse 7. But the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you, for they are not willing to listen to me, because all the house of Israel have a hard forehead and a stubborn heart. And so Ezekiel hears that, and probably like what you would do, you just kind of sit around in a stupor for a week. What am I supposed to do? I think apparently Ezekiel probably had the same church growth model that, that we've come to um, see over the last 20 years or so, which says something like, an obedient church is a growing church. Or if a church has a lot of numbers, then obviously God is blessing this church because growth equals success. We've grown up, we, we've heard this. Uh, you, you've heard me say this time after time, but 
But numbers are no indication of the Lord's blessing. Uh, Some of the most faithful, God-fearing pastors I know and the most gospel-centered churches that I know, pastors only a few. And yet, some of the churches that I know who barely have a thread of the gospel in their teaching are huge. You can't say that it's a sign of God's blessing or not just because of numbers. The goal of a church should never be numbers. It needs to be faithfulness to her calling. Faithful to do what the God, God has called us to do. And that's our success. And we leave all of the results up to the Lord. We just faithfully obey. And we speak truth. And we obey whether people listen or not, whether they follow or not. Understand that God does not promise success. He does not promise popularity when He asks you to follow Him. Here's the crazy thing about this. Well, there's a lot of crazy things about this. Look at verse 4. The crazy thing here is he could have had success. Ezekiel could have had it. Chapter 3, verse 4. And he said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them. For you were not sent to a people of foreign speech and a hard language, but to the house of Israel. Not to many peoples of foreign speech and a hard language whose words you cannot understand. Surely if I sent you to such, they would listen to you. Do you follow the Lord's logic there? It's like, okay, Ezekiel, if I sent you to these people over here, they would listen to you. They would repent. They would convert. They would obey. So I can't send you to them, all right? So I'm going to send you over here to your own people who are never going to listen to you. Make make sense? Does it make sense? And he's in a stupor for a week. You've got to ask the questions, you know, just like, why not try to reach the people that will respond? Why, Why not try to start where you know you're going to succeed? And what God is doing through through Ezekiel here is He's forcing us to re-examine, to rethink our motives and our goals for evangelism. What are are our goals in world mission? I've been to a a number of world mission conferences um, over the last 10 years or so, and and all of them are are usually like, strike where the iron is hot. Go to where you know know there's going to be results. You've got to flood in those places. And I mean, and, and that's not bad, but what if God is calling you someplace else? Our primary goal for mission simply needs to be to glorify God through faithful obedience. And then, let me tell you, if you understand this, if you really understand this, this changes everything for you. I've had to think a lot about this just even concerning um, being a husband and being a father. Um, Because there's this temptation that I can be doing all these really great important things. I could go, you know, different conferences or things like that and just preach. And gosh, you know, you can see, you can preach to hundreds. 
You can, you can spend all your time doing this, all at the expense of maybe neglecting your family a little bit. Spending less time with your wife or less time with your children. After all, I mean, it's just, you know, I've only got four people there. There's hundreds over here. And so it makes sense. You would think, okay, well, I need to go here. That's where I'm going to get the success. God says, no, you, you realize it's just faithful obedience. That's how you glorify me. You can glorify me just as much staying home tonight and just loving on your children and your wife as you can going someplace and preaching to thousands. I will be just as glorified. Forget about the results of those things. Just honor me in obedience. You made a pledge before me to your wife. Honor that, and I'm glorified in that. And it's, it's changed the way that I have viewed preaching, I've viewed my family, and I have felt this tremendous burden lifted. Let me ask you, what is your motivation for serving the Lord? Is it, is it to see results? Is that your motivation? Do you serve at the, uh, the homeless shelter in Woodlawn? Do you serve there in order to somehow get a response from the people, in order to, to know, you know, to get that feel-good feeling, to somehow see people come to know the Lord, that's why you do it? Or is it simply because God's called me, I will faithfully go, and He will be glorified? Whether these people are receptive or not. We are just over two years into existing as a church, and so, you know, I just ask the question, what is our goal? Is it to grow as large as we can, to reach as many people as we can? It's not necessarily a bad goal, but it certainly shouldn't be our primary goal. Our primary goal is faithful obedience to where, whatever the Lord has called us. So I hope you see in these two chapters here, God is forcing us to re-examine our motives for sharing our faith. Um, I took a lot of mission trips during my years of college ministry, and inevitably, during our missions training, I think this probably happened every year, somebody would say, you know, since we've raised all this support, we've gone through all this training, they'll say, you know, is, it will all be worth it if we just see one person come to know the Lord. To which I always respond, well, would it be worth it anyway? Isn't God just so great that He simply has to be shared, whether people listen or not? Some of you are familiar with Elizabeth Elliot, who, whose husband was martyred reaching the Aka Indians in Ecuador. And uh, he was martyred along with four of his friends, and there was no fruit there initially at all. Many, many years later... Um, Somebody, one of the Aka Indians finally came to know the Lord, and so Elizabeth, or somebody went to Elizabeth Elliot, who had lost her husband, and said, you know, this one person was saved, now can, can, do you think it was worth it? And her response was, it was always worth it. Always. Whether people responded or not, the glory of God is so great, He simply must be shared. If none of them had turned to the Lord, it would have been worth it. 
That needs to be our response as well. In which the primary goal of evangelism is to bring glory to God through faithful obedience. Leaving the results to the Lord. Just compare. You know, we looked at Jonah last year for just a few weeks. Just compare Jonah with Ezekiel. Jonah it was a racist, bigot, stubborn person. Ran away from God. Reluctantly finally went to Nineveh. Says about five words. The entire city repents. Five words. Then you have Ezekiel, who preaches for over 40 chapters in this great book. And he's called to do crazy things. Like God says, all right, I want you to lay on your left side for 390 days. So he's laying on the ground for 390 days while laying siege to a brick that he calls Jerusalem. When he's done, he has to turn to the other side for another 40 days. All the while, he has to cook his food with cow dung. He's begging the Lord at one point, because at first the Lord said, I want you to cook your food over human dung. And he's pleading with the Lord, Lord, please, 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 can I at least use cow dung? So anytime you think your life is going wrong, just remember that prayer. You're not at that point begging the Lord, please let me cook my food over cow dung. But he was at that point. And during this time, as he's laying on his sides, he doesn't get to preach feel-good messages. He gets to call, like we saw last week, he gets to call people whores. Judgment, lamentation, whoa! I mean, this is an awful life. And then the reward for it. The reward for his faithful obedience in one of the most somber chapters in the Bible. You get to Ezekiel 19. And after all of this faithful obedience, all of this faithful preaching, God says, hey, Ezekiel, tomorrow I'm going to kill your wife. And when you wake up, you cannot even mourn for her. Just put on your clothes, go to work as usual. You're not allowed to cry. I mean, mean, he says, he goes, I'm going to take away the delight of your eyes. Not because you sin, but because they sin. I mean, it makes no sense. You're just saying, wait a second. I was the one who was faithful. I was the one obedient. And he goes, I know. And as a sign against them, I'm going to take away your wife. And you're not to shed a tear. Now, now, if you are in this for results, that is a painful pill to swallow. Painful. It's too painful. Let me tell you, but as much as this hurt Ezekiel, he still could proclaim and confess the goodness of God. Still. Because he was consumed with the glory of God. And so we share Christ with others simply because he's so glorious he must be shared. For no other reason. Understanding the glory of God is essential to evangelism. If if, if you're not sharing your faith, it's not that you don't have the right technique. It's that you don't know the Lord. You need to be captivated by Him. 
And then you will share. Let's look at one final thing we need to understand concerning God's call and our obedience to Him. And that's the centrality of His Word. And that that goes hand in hand with the glory of God. Uh, One of the ways we get a glimpse of God's glory is through the eating of the scroll. Chapter 3, verse 1. Son of man, eat whatever you find here. Eat this scroll and go and speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave me the scroll to eat and he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly with this scroll. I give you and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. And notice that Ezekiel, you know, God's not saying, hey, pick and choose here. He's, he's giving him the scroll. He's just, you eat all this scroll here. We, we don't pick and choose God's words. We don't pick just the, you know, just the blessings and forget the woes. We, we, we take all of this in. The, the surprising thing to me about this is all of it is sweet. His message is lamentation and woe and judgment and yet the Word of God is still sweet. And for me, one of the things I have found is the doctrines about God that I first found to be most painful and hard, the more I chewed on them, the sweeter they became. First, things that I didn't, never would have wanted to ascribe to God. Things maybe about his sovereignty or something like that. I, I just no, no. You're really over. You're really Lord over man's hearts. Ah. But the more I chewed on it, the sweeter it became. And we see that here. No matter what the message is, when it's from the Lord, it is sweet. So if you want to be consumed with the glory of God, if you want to be a faithful servant to whatever He's called to do, you have to take time to feast. On his word. Let me close by just asking a couple of questions. What is it that God is calling you to do? What is it? What is your fear or hesitation? Does it have anything to do with how people will respond? Anything to do with the results? Is it that you don't want to fail? If if that's your hesitation, I say lay that down. God very well might be calling you to something that fails. Know He will be glorified regardless if you faithfully obey. Pray with me. Father, we thank You for Jesus once again. His work on the cross looked like an utter failure to everyone around. But it was the most glorious thing that has ever happened. Through it, you were so glorified. You were lifted up. You used that to draw all men to yourself. And so we give you thanks and praise for that. God, now I pray for the people here that whatever you are calling them to do in this moment, in the quietness of their heart, 
they would humble themselves before You and obey. That You would so fill them with Your glory and majesty that they would see that You are worth it no matter the results. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.